St. John's Gospel, chapter number 1. Tried to pray about the service this morning and kept being drawn to these verses. And uh, I want to read from them and try our best to give you whatever the Lord wants us to give you this morning. Have, I feel as Brother Tim in the Sunday school hour this morning, I've had so many thoughts and so many scriptures, and there's, I'm going to read several verses this morning, and there's more in these verses than I could ever cover in weeks, much less in one service. Uh, but I feel compelled to read them, and I don't know what all we'll say this morning. I ain't got no title. I don't think that matters. I'm just going to try to follow the Lord. And uh, I thought uh, this morning, last night I was praying about it, and again this morning... And I thought, Lord, I ain't got no title. I'm just going to preach about you. And uh, the Holy Ghost spoke my heart and said, there ain't nothing else to preach about. If we preach about anything else, we're not preaching anyway. And we get hung up, and I'm guilty. We're all guilty. It's the nature of the flesh. We get hung up on formality sometimes and think it ought to be just so. You know, we get hung up on maybe as a preacher, I'm just confessing it's good for the soul. Sometimes I get hung up on the fact that I don't have no title or no outline. I'm just going to try my best to preach what's on my heart. And if you'll pray for me this morning, I think we'll be helped and we'll leave better than we come. John chapter 1, when you found your place, if you'd stand this morning, out of reverence and honor the reading the Word of God, I'm going to read several verses. And I don't know that I'll be able to preach everything that's on my heart. I don't know if we'll preach part of it this morning, part of it tonight, whatever the Lord wants. But I'll try to read these verses as quickly as I can, but I don't want to do any discredit to the Scriptures. I want you to hear the Word of God this morning. St. John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He whom I spake, He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. 
This is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sin us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoes latch that I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabar beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John sent Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day after John stood unto his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> Now I read these verses this morning in the Gospel of John chapter 1. And there's more contained in these verses than I could preach this morning. But I'm interested this morning about the Lord and just to preach about Christ for a little while this morning. I thought about John here. Now it can be a little confusing if you don't pay attention and understand about the fact that John the Baptist and the Apostle John are two different men. That John, the Apostle John, or Saint John, as the Gospel is written here, and according to him, is the Apostle John, and then John the Baptist is another of the forerunner of Jesus Christ. John here, the Apostle, is recording his Gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and in the record of his Gospel, he records the record of John the Baptist and what John said about himself as he baptized there in Jordan. I began to think about John the Apostle. And I thought about the fact that it seems to me like John was closer than any of the other twelve to Jesus. Now I'm not trying to elevate John above anybody else 
or to say that the Lord has favorites. He don't. He treats all his children the same. But the Bible said if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, the book of James, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And that scripture means that God don't show favoritism to one over the other or give certain of his children a special privileges above another. But we're all lateral. As I said this morning, the Sunday school area, it's level ground at the foot of the cross and in the family of God. Now understand that in the family of God and in the body of Christ, there are certain callings which some possess and are called of God. And in that calling, they are greater than others and have a position above others. But as far as being in the family of God, we are all on equal grounds in the eyes of God and in his family. There are no big eyes and little use. God placed us all in the body of the scripture saying as it seemed good for him to place us. And so if we get a complaining about where we are and what our position is, then in reality we're complaining against the will and the foreknowledge of God because he knew what we need to be. When he saved us, he knew what part of the body we would be and he saw fit to put us in the body. We just ought to thank God this morning that he cared enough about us to even save us and put us in the body. And if we had that mindset, we'd fulfill whatever place in the body we have with joy and not with grief. But it seems to me that in light of the scriptures and in light of the record of the word of God that John seemed to be closer to the Lord than any of the others. It was John that we always read about leaning on his bosom. It was John when they were at the of the upper room and in the last supper together uh, with the Lord as they prepared and he's getting ready uh, to go to Calvary and he says that day uh, that there's one among you uh, that will betray me and it's John uh, that the Bible tells us while everybody else is saying Lord is it I uh, that John is leaning on his bosom and John never asks is it I uh, but John said who is it? In other words, John had confidence, not arrogance, not boastfulness, but John was close enough, had that relationship with the Lord to know that it was not him. While all the others... And I understand that many in the word of God, many of the disciples had their day. We think about Peter, he walked on the water. Nobody else among the twelve got out of the boat, only Peter. But even on that day, Peter was among the ones saying, Lord, is it I? And John saying, Lord, who is it? It was John that we find when all the other disciples are scattered. It was John at the foot of the cross. When Jesus looked down at John and Mary, his mother, is there. And Jesus said, Woman, behold thy son. And son, behold thy mother. Jesus commended the care of his mother. Broke the last earthly tie that he had to this world. And gave John the commission of the care of his own mother. Sounds to me like John had a special relationship with the Lord. And in this relationship it shows in John's record in his gospel 
John speaks more personally of Christ than any other of the ones that write their gospel. John speaks more personally about the man of Christ than he was God the Son in the flesh about his feelings, about his care, about his compassion, about his great works and miracles. John speaks more about it than any other of the writers of the gospel. As I begin to read, God begin to stir in my heart. And I just want you to bear with me this morning. I'm going to try to preach what's on my heart. If God will help me, I've had so much running through my heart and my mind about here in John chapter 1 that the Apostle John in his record, he records and introduced Christ by three different distinct titles in the first chapter, in the first 37 verses that we read. He introduces Christ in three different of fulfillments of his titles and his offices of his works that are very important to the work of the gospel. The first one he introduces Christ as the light. He said this is that light, capital L. Now many would argue that he introduces Christ first as the Word, even though verse number one is there. And he said in the beginning was the Word, capital W, that is a, a personal name of Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is talking about Christ, but he doesn't introduce Christ as the Word until verse number 14. But here he introduced Christ first as the light. He said John was sent, that is the John the Baptist. He was sent to bear record of that light. He was not that light, but he was a witness of the light. I thought about how important it is that Christ was the light. The Bible said in the book of 1 Corinthians that God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shone abroad in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That we are in darkness. A sinner is in darkness. He cannot get to the light. That's what Christ said in his discourse between him and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He quotes, we quote that scripture about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that's wonderful. Thank God for the verse. But the conversation doesn't stop there. Christ said God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He said this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Christ said my very character who I am. I don't have to condemn the world but the light of me is the condemnation because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And he said everyone that doeth evil doth come to the light unless they should be reproved. He said it is a reality of our day. It is a reality of all mankind that apart from God man abides in darkness. Darkness is a position that all men are in apart from God. That's what the scripture said that he delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That he brought us out of darkness and he brought us into the light. Darkness is not just a position, but darkness is a power. There is a power of darkness. Paul wrote about the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. There is a darkness. There is a power of darkness that is at work in this world. 
I'm the only way to combat the darkness is with the light. I'm the only way to have light is to have Christ. He is the light. Christ himself went on to say in John chapter 8 and verse number 12, I believe it is, he said, I am the light of the world. And so John said he is the light. And ain't it amazing? Ain't it amazing? The Holy Ghost got to do in my heart this morning. I was rereading and trying to study again and trying to get ready to come to church this morning and preach and just asking the Lord to help me and show me that the same light that brought condemnation it got to stir in my heart all over again about that service we had not long too long ago when we got to talking about grace and it's grace that taught my heart to fear and it's grace my fears relieved and the Lord got to working in me this morning and it works the same with light. And the same light that brought condemnation is the same light that then brings fellowship in the life of the believer. Oh yeah. The Bible said uh, this is the condemnation. That light's coming to the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everyone that did evil doth not come to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. Uh, but then the Lord went on to say uh, that he that doeth good cometh to the light uh, that the light might shine on him. First uh, John chapter 4 uh, said that, that, that us uh, that are of the light and we walk in the light. First John chapter 1 and verse number 8 if we walk in the light as he is in the light uh, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all unrighteousness now that's written to believers 1 John is a family letter it's not written to sinners it's written to those us that are saved and John said we walk in that light that light that once brought condemnation when we were lost and we were in darkness the light reveals how bad we are men abide in darkness because in darkness they cannot see their need but when they're brought to the light they're brought to the consciousness of the reality of their need of God that same light that brought condemnation now we desire it's natural it was talking about this morning Sunday school hour about natural things it's natural for the inner man the spirit man the saved man to want to walk in the light we're not of the darkness we don't belong in the dark we don't walk in the dark we walk in the light and as we walk in the light it brings fellowship between us and God and so therefore our fellowship's with him and our fellowship is with one another the reality in this day is people made your own fellowship and I know there's an element of that and it was dealt with this morning in Sunday school. Thank God for it. There's an element of fellowship between us. We're all in the same body. But if you can't fellowship with God, you can't fellowship with the brethren. If you're out of fellowship with God, you're out of fellowship with the brethren. Oh, Christ said if you can't love your brother who you have seen, how can you love God who you've not seen? If our relationship is not right between us and God, then there's not only a break or a breach of fellowship between us and God, but it will cause a breach of fellowship between us and the brethren because we're to love one another as we love God. And if we don't love God right, we can't love each other right. We're living in a day, and I'm just going to run this rabbit here and go off on this side note for just a minute. We live in a day the reason why churches are not right or the reason why there's so much trouble in the church is we have tried to impose convictions or we have tried to impose lifestyles and regulations and rules on people that are still walking in the darkness and you can't walk in the light if you're still in the darkness and we're trying to get lost people to act like saved people and the only way they can is to be 
born again. I wonder why there's so much friction, so much fight, so much contention inside the church. It's because we got lost people trying to act like church people. And it's because the preachers and the church have tried to convince them that they're okay. Everything's good. They've made a move. They've made a profession. Or they've come to order. But they're still in the darkness. They don't know how to walk in that. It takes the light of God. Man doesn't have any light. I don't have any light except that of God. That's what John said. He said, I'm not that light. I just come to bear witness of the light. And so we're in a day where the church has felt like they have been given the light or the preacher has the light. We don't have no light. We're just a witness of the light. The only light we have is His light working through us. That's right. And so John says He's the light. Then John says he's the living word. He's the word that was made flesh and dwelled among us. Oh, what truth. He said in the beginning was the Word, capital W. God didn't make any mistake in His Bible. He knew that it was a reference to a proper name, but when He called Christ the Word, capital W, it was His name. In the beginning was the Word, from the beginning, before the beginning. He was the Word. He was with God, and He was God. And then verse 14 said, and the Word, a capital W, was made flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation of God. The condescension of Christ. That just simply means he came from a lofty place up to a low place. He came from glory up down to earth. The Bible said you know the grace of God that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. That's that he came and dwelled among us. He got to talking about the Word. The Word conceived. That's what, that's what that Word means, made flesh. He was conceived. That, that was, He was brought forth to where we could see Him. If we go to 1 John chapter 1, it's the same writer as it is here in the Gospel of John, the Apostle John. And his language mirrors much what he said here in the Gospels. He said, That which is from the beginning, which our eyes have saw, our ears have heard, of what we have looked upon, what we have handled, of the Word of life, capital, W. In other words, John said God came to where we are and we literally laid our hands on him. He was made like us and dwelt among us. That's what Emmanuel means. We get caught up sometimes in the Christmas season and we forget how much truth, how much blessedness there is. The Bible said in the Old Testament they would call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. The reality was we could not get to God, so God came to us. God came among us. The Bible said it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That word behooved, if you look it up in its original, it means to be necessary. It was a necessary thing for him to be made like us, to live a life like us, though without sin, a perfect life, a sinless life, a holy life. The Bible said it was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. But it was necessary for him to become flesh so that he could save us. And so it was the word conceived, but then it was the word uttered. It was issued forth. The word of God lived through him. 
John said we saw him every day, the word of life. And we saw his miracles which he did. And we heard his teaching, our ears heard him, our eyes saw him, our hands handled him, the very word of God among us. He was the word, one writer said, he's the word before the world. He was before the world had began, he was there. When we read in Genesis where it said, God said, let us make man in our own image. Don't you think God knows the difference between singular and plural? God was speaking about the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and we're there in the beginning before the world began. Then Pharisees come, and they got to boasting and bragging about who they were. They said, we have Abraham to our father. In reality, what they were saying is they were focusing on his humanity. They were focusing on how God allowed him to come in. They knew the story. They knew all about what had went on between Joseph and Mary. They knew about the fact that this was not Joseph's son. And so what they were saying is, you probably don't know who your father is, but we know who ours is. Ours is Abraham. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, for Abraham was, I was. Although that would be grammatically correct, he was before Abraham, but he said, I am. In other words, he said, I've always been. Before the world was ever founded, I was. I am. That's where the scripture comes in. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He's always the same, always been the same. He's as much God today as he was when the world began. And if tomorrow comes, he'll be as much God then as he is today. He's the living word. John was just a voice. Christ was the word. That's all you and I are. We're just a voice. Lest we should be exalted, lest we be lifted up, lest we think we are something. John said when they set records, said, who are you? Are you Christ? He said, no. They said, are you Elijah? He said, no. They said, are you that prophet? He said, no. He said, who are you then? He said, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. He said, I'm just telling you about the word. He said, the word's coming. He said, there comes one after me whose coming is preferred before me for he was before me. We all know that record in the word of God. Now this is John the Baptist speaking here. We all know that record in the word of God when Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth. She's already expecting in her old age, her and Zacharias, by a work of God. And we know that in, in her womb was John the Baptist. And Mary comes and they begin to talk. And the babe John the Baptist leaps in the womb of Elizabeth at the voice of Mary telling about all that the angel of God had said about how Christ would come and be birthed through her. And we understand uh, that John the Baptist was born. Uh, they called his name John. Uh, John went, we, we have no record uh, of John between his birth uh, and now on this day when he comes out of the wilderness. Uh, but we know it was said to be the forerunner of Christ he talked about himself as the friend of the bridegroom he said the bridegroom has the bride he said but the friend of the bridegroom rejoiceth when the bridegroom has the bride that's what John said I am he said I'm just a man standing on the outside and rejoicing at the fact that the bridegroom's come I'm just a voice he's the Lord they'd never heard anything like this before the light the word But the one thing they really had never heard about was the fact when he stood there on the bank of the Jordan River and I've preached on this many, many times. 
But it's on my heart again today when he stood there on the banks of the Jordan River and he looked up and saw Jesus coming. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He said it twice the next day. John's with his disciples and see Jesus coming. And again he says, Behold the Lamb of God. So John says he's the light. He's the living word. But then John says he's the Lamb of God. See, they had never heard this language before. The the lamb was an Old Testament picture. It's all through the Bible. And everywhere you read it in the Old Testament, it's always a type and a shadow of the Lord that was to come and to be the Lamb of God. But they had never heard this language about taking away the sin of the world. See, he was represented in Genesis Chapter 22, when Abraham and Isaac are going up to the mountain, and they don't have, they got the wood, they got the fire, they got the knife, but Isaac looks at Abraham and says, Father of the wood and the fire, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham turns to his son, not really understanding all that he was saying. He said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for an offering. That was the first prophecy of Calvary by man in the Old Testament. We understand that there was a prophecy by God concerning the, 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 the seed of the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. But now, this is man speaking. This is Abraham. This is the first prophecy of Christ given in the Old Testament that God would provide himself a lamb for an offering. He say, well, preacher, God, uh, Abraham just believed that God would provide a sacrifice in the stead of Isaac. That's not according to Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 said that Abraham accounted that God was faithful to raise him up from the dead. In other words, in the mind of Abraham, God said, give me your son. Abraham believed God that he was going to kill his son and then God would raise him up from the dead. But Abraham speaks prophetically, I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, that God would provide himself a lamb. You say, well, he did there on Mount Moriah. No, the Bible said it was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, which is also a type of Christ. The thicket being a type of sin. That it held, it had the thorns, it held the ram. It was caught, had no way out. That's the way it was for Christ. It had to be by the sovereign will of God. He said it there be any other way, but there was no other way. And so he's pictured as the substitute lamb. That lamb, that lamb that was caught and offered in the stead of Isaac is a type and a picture of that lamb that Abraham spoke about as the substitute that Christ took our place. But then in Exodus chapter 12, He's the sacrifice lamb. See, the lamb didn't come to live. Its whole purpose was to die. That was why it was born, was to die for the sins of man. And that's why Jesus came. He told his disciples over and over and over again, I come not to live, but to die, give myself a ransom for many, and to be testified of in due time. And here in Exodus 12, we know the story of the last plagues coming through the death of the firstborn. And God tells Moses, get you a lamb, and kill it in the congregation, and catch its blood in the base and get you some hyssop and put it on the lid on the door post of the door and he said when I see the blood I'll pass over you that's what God's interested in this morning is the blood 
He's not interested in what your name is. He's not interested in where you go to church. He's not interested in what you've done with your life. He's not interested in how much money you have to give in the offering plate. He's not interested in what your mama does, what your daddy does, or what your husband or your wife does. It didn't matter. God said from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits on the throne to the firstborn of that one of the prisoner in the dungeon. He said, if I don't see the blood of the judgment of God will be upon you. And that death angel came through and the only thing it was looking for, the only instruction it was given was to look for the blood. It didn't say look at how much money they have. It didn't say look at what's going on inside the house. But for the Bible said they told him to shut the door. But don't come out. Just trust in the blood. That's the only thing that'll make it through. And I've said it many times and I feel compelled to say it again this morning. It was not enough that the lamb was slain. They could have took that blood in their basin, set it on the kitchen table of the house, and gathered around it at midnight singing, there's power in the blood. And if the blood had never been applied, the death angel would have still come in, and still judgment would have passed. It had to be applied. So it's not enough for you this morning. If you're here this morning lost, it's not enough for you. Now there's nothing to be added to the work of Calvary. Christ did it all. But his death, it's not enough for you. It must be the blood that he shed must be applied to your heart. It must be appropriated to your life, to your soul. He must see it on you when he passes by you. The Bible speaks in the book of Romans about him being the propitiation God had made him a propitiation for our sin. And if you look up the word propitiation, I studied this last night. It got to turning somersaults in my heart. It may not mean anything to you, but I want to preach it this morning because God has showed it to me. But the word propitiation is translated of the same word mercy seat. It is that Christ literally became the mercy seat. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, in the Old Testament, well, the mercy seat's where the blood was applied. Well, the mercy seat's what God looked at well, for the judgment of sin. If he was satisfied with the mercy seat, he would not judge sin. And that's what God's doing with Christ. He doesn't look at me and he doesn't look at you. And we better thank God for that. When he looks at Christ, that power appropriated our heart, what Christ did for us. God judges sin based on Christ. Whether you've received Him. Now in these days, and I'm not falling out with anybody. I know good people that, that, that have no ill feelings in them or don't try to do it. But they say this word in these days, accept. Just accept Christ. You won't find that in the Bible. I understand maybe what they're saying, but we've got to be careful about how we word things. You say, but you're getting too technical. No, I'm just trying to preach what's on my heart. Uh, uh, people accept things that they've been deserving of uh, when they have these uh, ungodly award shows for these uh, movies and music. And our day, you know what they do? Uh, they accept an award. They are signifying uh, that they have done something to deserve what they're getting. You and I don't deserve Christ. And that's not the word John used here. He said receive. As many as received him, out of them gave him power to become the Son of God. You say, what does that mean? Receive means you receive a gift. You did not earn. You did not deserve. He freely gave it to you without any strings attached. And that's what salvation is. We receive Christ. And we receive him by faith. It's not of ourselves. 
See, we can go to the book of Ephesians and I understand the language applies that salvation is not of ourselves and it's not. But it also applies that faith for by grace you say through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. And that is salvation but it is also the faith to be saved. It's not of you. You can't show me anywhere in this Bible where faith ever begins with man. It always begins with God. Oh, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 of the works of the men of God by faith. I mean, it was faith that was given to them by God and they acted upon the faith. When God called Abraham to go out, God gave him the faith. Abraham just had to act on it. And I'm not trying to dumb down the gospel. But we stumble in these days. The Bible speaks about the simplicity of Christ. We have overcome. I'm not preaching he's believism either. I believe it takes a convicting power of the Holy Ghost. It's not, it is not anything that God set it up in John's gospel for it to be like it was. He told, called him to light first. There has to be conviction of the power, the light switch of God has to be turned on in the life of the child, of the sinner to make them a child of God. And then John called him the word. I believe according to scripture you must hear the preaching of the word of God and nothing else can take its place. And then he called him the Lamb of God. That is the receiving of the sacrifice that Christ made at Calvary for your sins and for my sins. And that's what Paul said. He made them for my sins and not for mine only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But there has to be conviction. There has to be preaching. There has to be a draw and a realization of the work of God. Faith has to be imparted before you can ever reach out and receive by belief and faith what God did for you. I believe that's right. So he became the sacrifice lamb. The, the list goes on and on and on. He's the silent lamb in Isaiah 53. He opened not his mouth. He went willingly. That speaks of his submission to his father. He prayed in the garden. If there be any way that this cup pass except I drink it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Apostle Paul said he became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Crucifixion was humiliation. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. Crucifixion was done. We we make slide of it. We think that maybe it's offensive to preach, but the Bible said they stripped him off naked in an open shame. They suspended him naked, shamedly, in front of all to see. That is what he went through for you and for me. He didn't just bear our sin, he bore our shame. He bore our curse. God cursed the ground for Adam's sake. And the Bible said, Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. He literally became the curse for us. They planted a crown of thorns. Thorns were part of the curse on the ground. God Himself in the flesh, the Word became flesh and He became a curse for us. He endured the wrath of God. I think I said it not long ago in the service. Brother Billy Mitchell said deity. That means God. That is Christ in the flesh. He was still as much God in the flesh as He was before He was ever made flesh. He is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. You say that doesn't compute. It doesn't have to and God don't compute anyway. I just know it's true. And Billy Mitchell said the deity of God has suffered three hours of the wrath of God on the cross so that those of us that He would deliver would not have to suffer
eternity with the wrath of God. So he went silently. The Bible said, as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. As a lamb led to the slaughter. So he opened not his mouth. You know what that speaks of? And I know I preach a lot about sheep, but it's just part of my life. That speaks of the sheep's trust of the shepherd. That the lamb trusts the shepherd. That it will do only what is necessary. And so Christ committed himself unto the will of the Father and trusted in him to do everything necessary to bring about our salvation. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. We look here in John chapter 1, he's the single lamb. John said he's the lamb of God. There is no other. There is none beside him, none above him, none below. Everybody is below him, but they don't even compare. He is the lamb of God. There was no other. We look in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's the spotless lamb. Peter said we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold has received from the vain conversation of our fathers in time past, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Those are two different words. God didn't just try to take up space. Well, the word blemish means morally pure. There was no sin found in him, no guile in his mouth. He was still on that day holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Well, the Bible never says anything about him being made a sinner. It said he who knew no sin was made to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He never sinned. He never became a sinner. But God made Him to become sin. God poured out all, laid all the sin of the world, past, present, and future on Christ. He became sin and paid for sin. He had to become sin to experience the wrath of God on sin. And He came out alive on the other side. And so that word blemish means he's morally pure. There's no defilement in him. But then it said he's without spot. That's a term from the Old Testament where they would put up the sacrifice and they would watch it for days and to make sure that it didn't have anything that would void its ability. It didn't have a limp. It didn't have one leg longer than the other. It didn't have spots on its coat that weren't acceptable. I, I, I thought about it and the Lord just kind of brought it back to me in the, in the Breeders Association I'm in. We watch for lambs and, and if they're not born a certain way, if they don't have certain characteristics or have other characteristics, it voids them from meeting the mark. They won't work. They can't be registered. They can't be identified with that breed. They have dark ears. If they have pink ears, they can't be identified as the breed. They have to have a dark nose. They can't have any spots on their body. All of that makes them void. Well, that's what Peter was talking about. He was referencing Old Testament sacrifice. See, Peter understood what he's talking about. Peter was the preacher to the Jews. And he was making an application that the Jews could understand that he had no spot. There was nothing that would void him from being an acceptable sacrifice in the eyes of God. He was perfect. He stood before Pilate. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And that, that statement was accurate and true. There was no fault. He had no blemish. He had no spot. He was a spotless lamb. Then in the book of Revelation, he becomes the slain lamb. John is there, the same John we're reading after this morning. He said, there's a book that needs to be opened. He said, no man's found worthy in heaven, under heaven, in the earth, under the earth. No man's worthy to take the book, loose the seals. He said, I laid down at the feet of the angel and I wept. The angel said, see thou doest it not. He said, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. 
Been found worthy to open the book. John said, I stood to my feet. I wiped my eyes. He said, I got to looking for this line. He said, I didn't see no line. He said, but in the midst of the four and twenty elders stood a lamb as it had been slain from the foundation of the world. I know people say Revelation is it's not a closed book. The Bible said, Blessed is he that readeth and understandeth of the words of the prophecy of this book. That is a, a refuting of the fact that God had to go to a different place. God didn't go to plan B. Christ was a lamb slain before God ever found the world. He said, as a lamb hadn't been slain. You said, preacher, a minute ago, you said he was sacrificed. That would mean the same. No, it's two different words. A sacrificed lamb was one whose blood was shed in order to pay for the sins of the people. A slain lamb is where we get our word. And I'm not doing any discredit. It's just where the word comes from in the original. It's where we get our word butcher from. And it has to do with an animal for food. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. He provided food for our soul. Is that not what He said to the disciples? When they could not understand, when the multitudes walked away, He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? He sat with the disciples at the Last Supper and He said, take and drink. This is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for you. He said, take. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. He became nourishment to our soul. He fed a hunger that only He could feed, only He could satisfy. That's what the psalmist, I think, really meant when he said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He became nourishment for our soul. Is that not typified? Is that not illustrated in the story of Jairus' daughter when, who is the type of a sinner, dead without God? It must be the work of God. The parents can't do it. The people can't do it. Or the religious leaders can't do it. But Jesus comes and takes her by the hand, speaks to her, calls her by name. <coughs> said, mate, I say unto thee, arise, she set up. And then the Bible said he commanded something should be given her to eat. For her to be nourished. That's what the church does. That's why we come together and through Christ, through His Word, that we are fed and our soul is satisfied through what He does. So He's a slain lamb. But then He's a sovereign lamb and I'm done this morning. When they all, when John sees this sight, both in Revelation 5 and in Revelation chapter 7, all them four and twenty elders and the beasts and all the angels they fall down and they begin to worship Him. And they're saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory, honor, majesty, and power. Them seraphims in heaven, John the Revelator wrote, and he said they had six wings. With two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and two they did fly. He said they flew around His throne singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You say, who is that? That's the Lamb. That's the sovereign Lamb. And you don't have to let that word scare you. I know there have been denominations and there have been uh, uh, sides of religion that have taken that. That word sovereign just means He has all power. It means He doesn't answer to anybody. And He is the sovereign God of everything. And this Lamb that was so meek and humble 
This lamb that went quietly, this lamb that didn't open his mouth, this lamb that was the substitute, this lamb that was slain, this lamb that was sacrificed, this lamb that was spotless. He is the sovereign lamb. He said that he has power to save, Paul said, to the uttermost. Now we can't misquote that scripture. That doesn't mean, although he can, that scripture don't mean he can reach out here to the furthest reaches of the world and say that's not what that word means, even though God can do that. What that word means is when God takes a hold of a sinner and they turn to him and receive him by faith and he saves them, he saves them to the uttermost. That word uttermost means completely. Not lacking anything. God doesn't do anything halfway. He saves completely. That's why Paul said we are waiting for the redemption of the body. We have received the earnest of our inheritance in the Spirit and we're waiting for that completed work where He'll save the body. And He will. He is able to save to the uttermost. All that come to God by Him. And He does. Any sinner that ever gets saved, gets saved completely. That's why I have such trouble with these that come and go through the motions and make a profession. I'm not saying we're perfect, we're far from it, we still deal with the flesh, but then something never, something never changes and they're right back where they were six months later. That's not the God I serve. He don't work that way. One old preacher said, one mountain preacher man, and Brother Billy Mitchell said, the God I serve ain't that messy. He does it completely. Saves to the uttermost. Why, preacher? Because He's the sovereign God. And He has the power to save. I'm glad for it this morning. I don't know if you've got anything out of it. It's on my heart to preach. It's been a joy to preach to you this morning. It's been a joy to be together. I'm glad for the Lord. I'm glad for Christ. I'm glad He's the light. I'm glad He's the living. I'm glad He's the Lamb of God. That taketh away the sin of the world. I'm glad I know Him. That's what John was saying. He said, I've been told about Him and I've been looking for Him. He said, one day He's coming. And then on that day, here He come out of the crowd. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God. He said, this is the one I've been telling you about. He said, I ain't even worthy to even stoop down and unloose His shoes. And He's here among us. I'm telling you, I'm glad I know Him. It ain't nothing I've done or ever could do, but I'm glad I know Him this morning. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm glad I'm part of this church. I'm glad for what the Lord's been doing. I'm looking forward to what He's going to do in the days to come. And it'll all be by Christ and through Christ and for Christ. He is the central hinge of everything we do. If we do anything that's not of Him, then it's no use. It should be all about Him. I believe that's what John was saying. It's all about Him this morning. Father, I thank You this morning for the privilege and the opportunity, Lord, to have been able to be in Your house with Your people. I thank You, Lord, for these simple thoughts that You've laid upon our heart and the truths from the Word of God.